Hello and welcome to episode 260 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is a huge guest for me. It's no secret that I've wanted this person on the podcast for a very long time. It's no secret, when I started Mark and Me, I had a list of names that I really wanted on this podcast. Some of them were absolute dream guests like Anthony Hopkins, Kevin Smith, Mads Mikkelsen, Neil Blomkamp, and they were all dreams, but something that I wanted to work towards. And after a few years, I luckily had ticked them all off, which was just amazing. But you know how much I love live music, and a band that have always blown me away have been Enter Shikari. I can't sit here and claim that I'm their biggest fan in the world that have listened to them for the whole duration of nearly 20 years, because I haven't. But recently I've really got into them. I was lucky enough to see them last year at the Leeds Festival and they blew every other band completely off the stage. Their performance, the light show, the production, the sound, everything. It was just incredible and I've been a massive fan since. I'm really, really excited to announce that on today's episode... I'm joined by the frontman of Enter Shikari, the absolute genius that is Rao Reynolds. Rao, for me, is someone that I've wanted because I actually think he is a genius. He's one of the best writers out there. If you're lucky enough, go and check out his books. They're just incredible. He's an amazing songwriter, an unbelievable producer, a superb frontman, and just an all-round nice guy. At Leeds, I was lucky enough to meet him backstage, and I didn't want to be that fanboy that was like, please, please come on the podcast, but I asked him, and he said, yep, that sounds good, drop me an email. And here we are, nearly eight months later, Rao's here, and this interview is superb, and it'll be coming up in just a couple of moments' time. But before we get to it, let's just touch base and talk about my last episode. It only came out a couple of days ago, and it's again by an amazing guitarist from an amazing band, Mark Holcomb from the awesome periphery this band are really blowing up they're getting some incredible reviews for their new album their live stage show is again unbelievable and it was an absolute pleasure to have mark on mark and me the response was incredible i've seen some awesome comments some amazing feedback on twitter facebook and instagram and it's so good to see that you've all enjoyed the interview just as much as me but today it's all about enter shikari On this interview, we get to talk about all the history of Rao, his songwriting, his influences, how he's kept Enter Shikari so fresh for almost 20 years. And we get to talk all about their brand new album, A Kiss for the Whole World. That's out in April. And trust me, it's unbelievable. But before we get to that interview, and we're almost there, let's give a massive shout out and thank you to the sponsor of this podcast, Richer Sounds. Because of those guys, they allow me to host this podcast each and every week, go out there and record more interviews for you guys at home. So if you're in the market right now for a new TV, a home cinema surround sound system, a Sonos, or something great just to improve your life, go to richersounds.com, check out their amazing range of home entertainment, and honestly, you will not be let down. So I think all that's left to do now, and I'm so excited for this, is to get to the interview with me and Rao Reynolds. So here's me and Rao talking all things Enter Shikari. So, Rao, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. What I like to do for all the guests that come on is take it right back to the very start and tell me about those first albums that you may have bought, maybe of your pocket money as a kid, that made you fall in love with music. 
Oh, um, God. Well, I was I was introduced to all sorts of music quite young. Um, I had like various influences in my family, and no one played instruments in my family, but everyone loved music. Um, so my dad was a DJ, um, primarily in like Motown and Northern Soul and stuff. So kind of embedded melody into me from an early age. Um, my nan was really into like big band jazz. So like used to love watching like Glenn Miller and Louis Armstrong and stuff like that. Um, and then my uncle got me into dance music when I was like 11. I think he handed me music for a jilted generation. Oh, nice. Uh, and when I was like 11, I was just like, what is this? Um, and so that I think that was probably one of the first albums I then bought would, would have been in the next one, which would have been, was that Fat of the Land? I think or Fat of the Land. And other than that, it would have been a load of Britpop stuff. So when I was sort of, yeah, 11, 12, 13, I was like really getting into Oasis and Blur. I was one of the rare people that just loved both. Um, you and, were the uh, one. You were the one person. Yeah, it? yeah. I've heard about yeah. this one person, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I had I had all sorts going on, but yeah, I think first first albums would have been one of those. I actually tell a lie. I do actually remember buying uh what was the first Spice Girls album? Was it just called Spice Girls? I think it might have just been called Spice Girls, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I remember buying that on tape when I was like nine or something at a service station. <laughs> wow. See mine's not cool. When people ask me I have to like try and lie and say, Oh yeah, it was Green Day, but it was something like Jive Bunny, how bad is that? I don't even know who that is. That's because I'm older. Bunny. That's what it's, it's, it's around right. the same days as sort of Two Unlimited and Hadaway. And oh, stuff okay. Like that. So right. Yeah, oh, it's, nice. It's embarrassing. <laughs> you haven't even heard of it, but um, <laughs> it all changes, doesn't it? When you go and see a band live, and that those first gigs that always kind of stick with you, when your rib cage kind of shakes and you get those hairs on your neck sticking up. And luckily, one of my first was Green Day, so it was a really intimate venue for, I think, just after Dookie. So. Have you got a cool gig that you first went to, or do you try and twist it a bit because it isn't quite as cool as you'd hope? <laughs> um, well, I, we were. I was quite lucky that I had um, a really thriving local scene. So the first like gigs that I went to are probably like local ones. Um, but like I, I, I do remember the first big, you know, like going into central London to see a, an actual like proper show was. Um, oh no, no, it wasn't even London, was it? Whether it was. Uh, might have been Finsbury. It was either Finsbury Park or in London, or it was. Uh, it wasn't Nebworth, but anyway, one of the big like Oasis uh, shows, um, and that was that. Yeah, that just blew my mind. Just the the size of it, just the, you know, the scope of the the whole thing. You know, big outdoor concert. Um, yeah, that that kind of blew me away. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was just like local bands and you know, hardcore punk star back in those days um yeah and just getting involved in the, the local scene i was at some of those oasis shows stuff like main road and uh i think it's finsbury park in london and i still haven't matched it i've gone to see some incredible acts i've gone to see you know rage against the machine pearl jam but nothing has topped that atmosphere and it was just yeah. electric and as much as incredible bands are touring and i get to see some incredible shows maybe it was the age maybe it was the world was different but something was so special about seeing oasis just yeah. fill an arena or a stadium and i don't know just the moment they came on it didn't matter everyone was just it was one singing along to like the biggest mm -hmm. ever it's incredible my my uh, main memory from it is somewhat more um 
uh, lowbrow. Uh, I remember this guy coming up to me and my mates and just, this was in the thick of it, you know, like squashed in like penguins somewhere near, not the front, but like, yeah, right in there. And he goes, lads, lads, gather around, gather around, gather around. <laughs> and and it, he basically just got, got his knob out and just started pissing into a paper cup. Fuck it up. And he, did, he, he wanted us to be his sort of, I don't know, like... Shower curtain. screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was Fucking like, oh, okay. Well, a, that doesn't really go as my kind of... I'm like, wow, it's the best gigs ever, and you just had to watch a guy <laughs> piss in a cup. Yeah. <laughs> did, it, did it get better than that? Surely after that, it was okay. There wasn't any more instances. Bloody hell. No, yeah, it was It was an amazing show. Um, yeah, I think, you know, especially... I, I think I was like 15, no, probably 14 then. It was just, yeah, blew me away just the the majesty of it all, which feels like a weird word to describe in a way to concert with, but like, you know, for me, like going in without ever being, ha- having been to a show with more than like 150 people at, it was just like, oh my God, this is gigantic. You know? And then obviously you guys, um, I think, is this since 1999? It just seems so fucking long ago when I say like the late 90s. Is that when you kind of started oh, performing? Christ. Yeah, that would have been um, Hybrid, um, which was just the three of us so without Rory our guitarist yeah. um yeah when we were kind of pro- probably about the same time that uh, that Oasis showed to be honest yeah we, we were um I was also into like Muse and Radiohead and more kind of uh experimental and progressive stuff and and that was the kind of music we were making back then as hybrid but um yeah Ernest Shikari started in, in 2003 summer of 2003 isn't it crazy that it's like 20 years ago? I mean, it's just, yeah, it just blows yeah, my yeah. mind. And um, I've had on bands recently like Feeder and Everclear and Incubus. And something that I always find really interesting is how you keep going for 20 years, 20 years on, you know, and still have the hunger. And I know you've had a, an addition to the band after a few years, but you are still hungrier than you've ever been. You're still ambitious. You're still writing music. You're still touring as much as you can. You're headlining festivals. What what actually is it that makes you every day just want to keep doing it instead of going, oh, I've, I've had enough now? Um, well, oh, I'll start with the negative. Like, don't get me wrong. There's definitely those points where you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm done. Like, it hasn't happened for a while, but, you know, there were points midway through like a, eight week American tour, you know, and it's a slog out there. We're, we're nowhere near as, as big in America as we are kind of elsewhere. And it's, you know, you're playing small venues with often pretty difficult facilities. You're not showering, you're not getting a good night's sleep because you're crammed into this tiny, they call the bandwagon out there. So you don't, you know, you don't get a sleeper bus really. It's, it's difficult. Um, and and there's those points where you're just missing home and you're you're just like, oh, why are we doing this? <laughs> We've said many times that we we might like just sack America off, but then we always go back because the people that come to the shows are just so passionate. And even though it's like nowhere near as big and like we certainly don't really make any money out there, um, it's just there's a an enthusiasm and an energy that keeps drawing us back. Um, but yeah, in, I suppose more in general, like I I couldn't imagine myself doing anything different um i i have such an an urge like writing music is something that gives me a thrill that is in parallel with playing live 
I like, you know, people often talk about the thrill of, of playing live, but writing music for me is just, oh, I, I mean, waking up in the morning with an idea and being able, you know, having the freedom, I guess, first of all, to just develop that idea is just so exciting. Um, and I suppose with, with a band like us, because we have quite a broad, um, we cover quite a broad amount of the musical spectrum in, in, our, in our music, um, therefore, there's the added thrill of just like experimentation. It's not like I'm just going through the motions. Oh, let's make another song. It's this kind of structure. It has this kind of instrumentation. Like we're all over the place. So it's always fascinating. Um, so the, the, the creative urge, I think only grows. Um, the, 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 and then the, the urge to want to play that music live and, and connect with people over the music that only grows as well. You know, I haven't, my, um, my sort of impetus, my uh, what my aim really hasn't changed from the band, like because I'm I'm quite sort of a uh, I'm an introvert, you know I'm I'm not brilliant at like social interaction. So music for me is just like a way of communicating with the world, and that's still the same. So as human beings, we need to communicate. We thrive off like connecting with with other human beings. So for the music for me is just like a must. It, it, there's there's no point where I've ever been like. Oh, I'm thinking about you know actually finishing this and you know going off to be a gardener or something. I don't know, I don't know what I'd do uh, outside of the band. Probably something outdoorsy, hopefully. But um, yeah, no. You it's, said it's, then the yeah. word introvert, and uh, I've I've only met you once, but is it kind of difficult because? you a bit more want to keep yourself to yourself. You don't want to be, you know, you find probably social interaction quite difficult at times around loads of people. But then the moment you're given a microphone and you go on stage, are you then taking a mask off or putting a mask on knowing that you then can stand up in front of a room full of thousands of people, take your shirt off, dance, party, get up on yeah, the speakers. Yeah. And is that the real you that then you've had to hide from? Or are you putting that <laughs> on because you've given the microphone? Um, I mean, this is something I've thought about a lot, uh, sort of, even in like my therapy sessions, of, of, we've, we've delved into this. I think it's all me. I think, you know, it's 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 something that I've always thought about. And and there's actually a lot of um, this kind of topic on the on new album, a lot of soul searching, a lot of who is, who am I? Who is the real me? And I think most people don't really know um, and I've, I've sort of come to terms with that. Like, I don't really know who I am. It doesn't really matter. All I can do is work towards who I want to be more or, you know, work towards the things that I don't like about myself, you know, correcting those or whatever. That's all, that's all we can do. We're sort of fluid beings, you know. We're just constantly either progressing or, or regressing. Um, and that's, yeah, that that's all that there is, I think. Um, I, for me, the social anxiety thing is, is interesting because it, usually comes down to if there is a a known role in a social situation then i will be fine um so like on stage i know what my role is it's rehearsed it's um i'm confident in it you know uh, i know what i'm doing i've got the guys with me we've got our whole crew it's it's fine you know that's not to say that i still don't get like a bit nervous every now and then especially if it's a big show or somewhere we haven't played before or something um but I know what I'm doing now in a, in a social interaction, say if I'm at a party or something, I 
don't I then don't know what my role is. I don't know who I am in that situation. So it becomes a lot more difficult and my brain's working four times as hard just working out, oh, should I have said that? Oh, should I have done that interaction? Oh, you know. It's it's frightening because you're you're. It's like my brain's talking to me on Zoom right now, and I'm like, God, Uh this is too close to home. Like, it's the it's the unknown, isn't it? And if you're going to a party, all the different dynamics of different people and strangers and people you do know, and it's trying to adapt and kind of be somebody for everybody instead of just trying to just be myself. And that's fucking hard work. That's tiring and exhausting. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I do a lot of personality mirroring. Which in in some to some degree I think is really good, you know, enables you to connect with people quickly. Um, but and then at some points it, it it reinforces this idea that I am I'm as a person I'm so um, uh, elastic, <laughs> you know, I like so which which part of that is me? And it, it takes me a while to come to terms with the fact that it's all me. It's all you know. I feel natural in all those like roles and all those kind of ways of acting. Um, but it's just hard to kind of decipher, well, I find it hard to decipher which bit of, of me I should be like portraying right now or whatever. I know, I know this is getting quite deep for this early in the morning, but it's good and I love this sort of stuff and it goes off ta- off kind of where I was expecting the conversation to go, but is it sometimes difficult to remember or to try and stop in the moment and then say, ah, oh, this is actually me because you're trying to kind of people please people and match and mirror everyone around you so for example i went to a house party the other day it sounds like a house party fucking hell my next door neighbors have recently moved in they're 15 20 years older than me but me and my wife went around had wine sat and i wasn't me i wasn't just sitting there talking about what i do as podcasting and the films i love and i was i kind of had to play the game of i'm a proper adult today and i'm quite sophisticated (laughs) and i want to drink this wine and have this volivant and all this sort of stuff you know but really when i got home i was like god i'm tired because i was kind of an actor for three and a half hours at someone else's house but then why didn't i just go to the party and be me and be like well i'm mark and this is what i do and i might be a lot younger and a bit more immature and not responsible as you guys and have a life in place like you but i felt like it wasn't good enough yeah yeah i think we we all try i mean it's, it's almost like going back into um you know like evolutionary theory and like uh, what we do to try and fit in like we have to feel like part of the group so if we're in this new group that's slightly different from us we we may feel that pressure to act as much like them as possible because it's like an evolutionary survival mechanism <laughs> to be in the group and feel solid and not be banished into the savannas in africa where we're going to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or whatever you know like it's, a, <laughs> it's it's a deep thing within us to um want to feel connected to people and and therefore yeah we we often change ourselves but i think like most people i mean i know that i love it when someone is just like really uh oh, this sounds really trite or cliche but really like different or like you know, like, or, or say something that's like, oh, I didn't expect someone to say that in this conversation or in this situation. Or like, you know, it just, it puts everyone at ease, I think. It's like, you know, it's okay if you're a bit different, you're still accepted. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a thing that um, hopefully society's getting better at, I think. And you just mentioned then, obviously, some of these topics are discussed in your new album. It's not out yet. We've still got nearly a month to go, but A Kiss for the Whole World is... 
It's exciting for me because I've seen your band evolve and I love bands like Radiohead, Thrice, bands that don't sound like the same band on each album. So you go and see the band get like Paramore recently. I've just listened to their new album and that is nothing like the early stuff. They've oh, yeah. with harmonies and synths and uh, Taylor's guitar work is unbelievable and you can just see how they've evolved. And I love that. And people are like, oh, but they're not fucking the same screaming band they used to be. And I'm like, good. But that's mm. what I've got a massive respect for you guys because you've evolved. You've probably bought new equipment, tried new synthesizers, tried new electric stuff, took all those influences. The three singles so far, even though they're all Enter Shikari and they're all written by you, they all are very different. But as soon as I hear it, I know it's Enter Shikari, if that makes sense. I know I'm probably sounding like a madman, but they're very different. All three songs could be a different band but I instantly know they will enter Shikari. Mm. And I, I find it incredible that your album, I have no idea what to expect from the three singles. And you must be really excited for the world to hear even more tracks off the back of how successful these three singles have gone. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, it's always such a, a frustration when you finish an album, you know, you've got like three, four, five, six months, maybe to wait until release. It's like, oh, I just want, want to get everyone's reaction. I want to see how, what, you know, what, people connect with most and stuff um yeah it's incredible but i i think it's just something now that just well something that's always come natural with us really to have like music that's so varied but hopefully always sounds like us i suppose like just having our voices there's only so much you can do with our voices we can convey different emotions we can use different instrumentation but if it's got my voice if it's got chris's voice it it should hopefully still feel like it's coming from the same place um but that you know it's something that that life is incredibly varied and we experience different emotions you know constantly um and if you think about for instance the, the last few years of, of what we've all experienced it's been madness and so we try and cram as much of life into our music as possible and that means you need you need a palette that's incredibly varied you need um real tones and, and colors um that you can play with and so that's that's something that that we like to do because because it just feels other you know otherwise i wouldn't be portraying life and that would just feel like a dereliction of duty to like not include the whole of of life in our music um yeah like i think uh ernest hemingway said it best that i'm intoxicated by the romance of the unusual oh, that, i think that's what that's what keeps us going just like finding different ways to portray and, and convey emotions and experiences. I think one of the things and I, I've noticed this from reading your books and I really hope you're working on a new book in the background for this. I hope there's an, a, 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 you know, the, a piece of work that I'll get eventually that will tell me more about the, the making of this album and stuff because your writing genuinely is genius and the way you tackle politics and music in the right balance and i mean i mean that with full respect because some bands are just forcing politics down your throat too much and you're like I, I can't be doing with this because i just want to go to the gig and enjoy it or i need to i understand you've got a message to get out there and you've got a platform but you get it right you are so what's the word thorough in what you're trying to say and you you've got a message to get out there but 
the world is a fucking shithole at the moment, isn't it? Let's just completely not try and sugarcoat it. I can't remember a time in my life, and I know obviously back in the, a lot longer before me and my parents' world and when the war was on, it was a lot different, but it's just gloom. I don't want to put the news on at the moment because it's just the most horrendous time. But you seem to try and always have a positive output and try and, even though it's everything's crumbling you're still the voice you're still getting out there and saying we can make a better world yeah i think um in order to be like an active um an active human being in the world you have to have hope like if you have no hope then it makes no sense to be active to be an activist um you just become a, a nihilist and stop caring. You know, if, if you don't think there's anything that you can do or anyone that anyone can do in the wider world, then you uh, you become a, a non-entity almost. And, and that's the worst. Like nihilism is the worst thing because it just takes you out of the game. And people think that's that makes you sort of independent or like off-grid or something, or, or you're not having an influence. But all it's doing is supporting the current power structures. That's 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 all it's doing. Um, and so that's, you know, that's for me, like the main thing to avoid. So I want my music to be um, something that activates people. I, want, I, I obviously want to offer like some sense of comfort and some sense of escape, but I don't want that to be translated as something that like switches your brain off, you know, just sends you to sleep, doesn't make you think. I, I want it to like, um, to urge thought really. Um, and that, yeah, that that that's kind of the most important thing. So, so it, so I'll never like just be positive for positive sake. Hopefully, I, I I'm not really like an optimist. Um, but I'm uh, yeah, I just try and be realistic. But then also say that you know, if we don't have hope, then we don't have anything. You know, we may as well just all become nihilistic narcissistic neoliberal assholes like everyone in, in in power at the moment um so yeah it's uh as you say it's it's grim at, yeah. at the moment very much so but there's always there's always you know the front cover of the album that is basically what that is you know it's a that the, the background is a forest fire the landscape's being decimated which kind of feels like the, the direction we're going in but there's always life you know life will always find a way and, and the fire lily is just one of the most crazy metaphors from nature you know we have a, a forest fire in um where are they from they're native in south africa i think it is um and after a fire there'll be that there's something to do with the the uh, nutrients in the soil after a fire that then spur these flowers to grow straight away and so even in a desolate landscape, you get these little pockets of like essentially hope. Um, and I, I feel like that is, you know, it, it may seem somewhat like over romantic, but I feel like that is often what life is like. You know, you can feel like you're in a a one way tunnel to Chipsville, but like there's always, you know, something that, that, that we can do. There's always a way we can band together and work towards I think it's beautiful. I don't think it's uh, too romantic, and I think it's hope. And like you said, even the title, "A Kiss for the Whole World," you know, it's what the world needs right now: um, a hug, a cuddle, some affection, yeah. some positivity. That doesn't sound as good as a kiss for the whole world, but you know, it's 
it's hope and a glimmer of hope right now is something and i um i love that image and i i, I can't wait to have it as a print just because it, it's just be it's just beautiful yes so we worked with polygon um who's yeah an artist director creative um, that we've worked with a few times in the past. He did the Stop the Clocks video, Dreamers Hotel video, uh, Great Unknown. And yeah, uh, yeah, just worked with him on this on this front cover and he, he absolutely smashed it. Yeah, we love him. Just mentioned there as well, directing. Um, your music videos, I can see how hands-on you are and you get involved and you're actually directing them, which is um, amazing. And they look superb, the lighting, the colour, everything about it. You can see you've definitely got an eye for it and... What I love is when bands get involved in music videos and the production and everything. Are you now involved enough that you want to then eventually take maybe the career or a side path to movie making or short films? Because you seem like someone that's got a number of ideas and your music videos already just look unreal. Thank you. Um, yeah, music videos has been something that I've like struggled with forever. Like I've, I've, I would say that 90% of our music videos I've not been happy with, um, but they're always such a rush. There's such a, you know, you're sort of compromising with the director. There's usually like a, a, a sort of battle of visions and it just, it never comes out right really. Um, and so, yeah, I thought, I thought for this one, cause we had the time um, that I, I try and direct them all. So all, all four um, singles um, I've directed and, we've recorded them all now so I'm, I'm happy that that's off my plate we're currently editing them but they're the last uh two um and yeah i just i don't know I, just, I enjoyed it so much it was a lot of work um i'm not sure how sustainable it would be if i if i were to do more stuff like that but um yeah i, re I really enjoyed it it was just great to be able to like bring a sense of detail to the, the videos you know the like there's a lot to portray in the lyrics and I feel like you can, especially with It Hurts, you know, it's, it's this crazy dreamscape with all these kind of elements that, you know, would never be thought about if we just hand it over, handed it over to a, to another director. Um, yeah, it just, it just enables um, to, to, to visualise the music uh, um, in a way that is just really satisfying for us, I think. You should do it. I want to see a short film from you one day. When when you yeah. have a couple of years off or you're like, yeah, like oh, yeah. I'm burnt out. I can't do any more hotels. I don't want to go and have to shower <laughs> in America. I just want to sit down and make a short film. Do it because you've got the vision. You you can do this. I, I fully believe that one day I'll see it. Or you'll end up doing lots of music videos for other bands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it... I don't know if I'm... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's that, not that would be, really a, that would be about, a different but... mask for that day. You'd have to try and be a completely different person as a film director. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, directing like the rest of the, the band and then like it, it hurts was pretty much made up. All the extras and, and actors were our mates. So it was, it was like kind of easy and it was a really fun, if, if not stressful day. But, um, yeah. So it'd be very different, I guess, if it was, um, you know, an actual short film or something. I'm not sure how I'd cope, but <laughs> I'd give it a go. Are you really excited right now? Because I think, I said this to 100 Reasons only a couple of weeks ago, but I think the music scene right now is completely electric and alive again. And I know we've had to come through lockdown for two years and no gigs, but 
every week now there's the best bands touring um especially in britain i think with 100 reasons hell is for heroes celebrating 20 years them selling out and doing these amazing shows don broco about to go on a, an arena tour you guys are headlining slam dunk it just feels like we're, I know, I know it's, I'm like an old man, but I can't remember the time that it's felt this incredible. Bands like Sleep Token, just unbelievable. And I've never been so excited about the British music scene. It is definitely feels like it's thriving. It's like, yeah, like the last, well, I suppose, yeah, just since like lockdown and the pandemic and everything, it's, um, yeah, it really seems to have taken a, a step up. It's like somewhat, um, juxtaposed by the difficulties that like venues are, ha are having, um, you know, especially with the increasing energy prices and everything. Um, you know, we're seeing, I, I was speaking to um, Mark David the other day, who's the, the head of Music Venues Trust. And um, I think it's like one music venue a week is currently either closing down or like um, going into I don't I can't remember the terminology, but you know, they're like really struggling basically yeah. and then needing financial support and everything. And so it's like a, a very uh tough landscape, I think, in that sense. Um, you know, there's like I think there's ten is it, is it five or ten new um arenas that are currently being either proposed or built in the UK. And there's all this like money that that's going into them from various funding places. But like at the same time, the smaller venues that, you know, are going to um, produce and um, help the, the new artists that will eventually fill these, these big arenas um, are just being just left, you know, to sort of fend for themselves in, in, a, in this economic environment, which is really, really difficult. Um, so that really sucks. But yeah, um, I think the, the positive thing is, as you say, is, is the amount of music, like even just like, the um, support acts that we've got on these legs of of uh, these uh, this UK tour are just brilliant. You know, like last night was the, the first show of the second leg as everything un unfolds and Cody Frost and they they both absolutely absolutely smashed it. It felt like a really strong bill and just a really great night. I love what you did with that as well, announcing these shows and instead of like everyone being annoyed that they couldn't get tickets. You kind of did three whole rounds in the same venue. Maybe I'm just being ignorant, but I've not seen a band do that. I've not seen the fact that you could go and see you guys in Wolverhampton in February, March and April, you know, which one works out best. And, you know, I'm sure some of your fans, because they're so hardcore, have got tickets for all three rounds and you'll keep seeing the same mm -hmm. every night. But that's awesome that people kind of get that opportunity to see you in a smaller, intimate venue instead of the big festivals. And, I think you said earlier that you're kind of changing the set list up each night as well for each time you go around yeah. in these venues. Like that must be amazing. It, yeah, it's brilliant. It's it was kind of a weird idea when we first brought it up, and we're like, okay, that'll be interesting. It's different at least. Um, but yeah, it's even just going back to Manchester yesterday, back into the venue, it was just like it almost felt quite homely. I was like, oh, here we are again. You know, back in this dressing room, in this this area of the city, and it just feels. It's quite nice but yeah the shows it'll just be interesting to see how they change and how they progress like the, the set lists are about maybe 50 percent different each time which has been a lot of work but um i think it's been it'll be worth it um and yeah it'll, it'll just be like we're not really like planning much that's different uh, other than the set list but like 
I think a lot of those things just just happen in the moment, you know. The show becomes different in in, in some way. And what about incorporating the new songs? Because when a band haven't quite released their new album yet, you've got the singles, which obviously everyone loves. They're fresh, so for you guys to go on stage and perform new music keeps it exciting. When I go and see bands like Biffy Clara, I think, God, how many times do they need to play to like 57 and still smile and <laughs> like look like they're enjoying it? But with you guys now on the verge of releasing a new album, at least you can play new music and try stuff and see how the crowds react. So are you trying to get a nice blend of the singles, obviously, that people have just heard, but then a couple of new tracks as well to see how they go down? Always, yeah. Um, we've, I mean, like, we, we certainly feel a bit, tired of playing like you know songs from our first album and second album obviously like we've played them night in night out for years but like luckily what we've done for instance sorry not a winner um we've got the well pendulum did the remix that i performed with them at reading and then we've taken that remix and kind of uh progressed it even further um and that's what we're playing we sort of play half of the original and then we go into the remix so so things like that keep it really fresh and exciting for us and hopefully the audience. Um, but yeah, then we're playing all three singles, um, which is, is like last night, It Hurts and Please Set Me On Fire, the first two singles, they just feel like part of the set now. Like the crowd sings along just as loud to those as they do like, you know, the oldest of tracks. So it's, it's amazing how they've kind of gone down and been accepted. Um, yeah bloodshot obviously we we played after a few days of being released which is kind of the the uh the treat really after nothing is true the last album we, we released at the start of lockdown and then didn't get to play the music until a year and a half later this is like yeah the complete opposite from that and it's amazing and in the summer i can't wait i was there last year and it's one of my favorites but to headline slam dunk is awesome and as soon as i saw your name up there with bands like billy talent and the offspring and stuff that's a great festival but are you excited are you nervous are you kind of still like you said earlier you know what you've got to do you rehearse you've got a job to do the band's structured they're all great but there must still be that feeling of like like we're, we're going on yeah, after yeah. all these legends like yeah i think as long as we get like we've we've pretty much nailed the set list now and, and we've doing lots of production meetings at the moment we've got like some big production ideas so i think as once we once the show feels solid then i'll be confident but yeah at the moment it's like okay like there's lots of like loose ends we need to tie together to make it all work um but it's gonna be uh the most um ambitious yeah yeah i think i think that's I'm just, I'm just like going through like all the other kind of headline festival things we've done or like big headline shows. And yeah, this definitely feels the most ambitious. I saw you guys at the um, download pilot, uh, which felt like a, the best kind of release for anything because we'd all been trapped mm. and locked away. And I thought, God, I, I really hope I get to see you headline another festival soon. Because at that point, you never knew if festivals were going to come and be a thing again. It was fucking terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so to see your name on that poster was unreal. And uh, you're going to be a busy boy. You've got a lot coming up. You've got obviously loads of tours, loads more shows. I'm sure you're going to be announcing even more shows down the line after this UK tour and Europe and America. And Yeah. My it's, Lord. It gets a bit mad. But I think, you know, that's what we missed from the, from the last album release. So 
we are looking forward to it as uh, as mad as it's going to be. As I've got you now, is there another book in the works? Are you sitting and putting pen to paper? I'm sure you're always creating and writing and doing log books and notes and everything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. Like, I think basically with the, the last book, um, you know, that took like a year of of research and writing and well, a year and a half, I think, in the end. But uh, I think that kind of... I said so much in that that I don't think I'm going to do a similar, certainly not for this album, I'm not going to do a similar thing. Um, We may do some kind of more scrapbook type thing, just like little, you know, not full on essays, not uh, full on analysis of the state of the world and and stuff like that, which was the last book. Um, But yeah, I'm sure there'll be something. Um, But yeah, I haven't haven't put pencil paper yet. I recommend if you've got time and you're on tour, Rick Rubin's new book. Oh, nice. Okay. It's very good. Uh, it's very positive. It's quite constructive and it will make you feel more positive about everything in life. And I've just, just literally finished reading it. So I recommend if you've got time and you're looking for something on tour, yeah. when I was reading it, I was thinking, I'm sure you'll love that. Cause it's quite a lot like your last book. And it's from one of the absolute Jedi's in uh, recording and producing. Yeah. So yeah man yeah he's brilliant yeah uh, i like that he's like i keep seeing him just like in going viral in like various like interviews and things he's saying and stuff so i like quite like his ascension what i do on this podcast and it's my final question for you today and I, i ask it to everyone that's been on and there's been nearly 260 episodes um the last piece of music that's played on the podcast is chosen by the guest. Um, so I've tried to keep it original. So every single person that's come on, if it's Anthony Hopkins, Mads Mickelson, Kevin Smith, whoever it is, they've all chosen the last piece of music that's played. But I don't give you too long to think about it. And I find people in bands struggle because you've probably got 150 favorite songs and you're trying to get down to 10 and 5. But yeah. what's a song that you love that when I asked the question came to your heart and your kind of head before anything else that you love and has a meaning to you that would be after this is all edited and wrapped up and out there for the world to listen to, is that final song that's played on today's episode. Christ. I'll um, edit it as well as well, so it doesn't sound like you've been thinking for hours. <laughs> I had uh, Riley from Frice. I'm not taking the piss. He took 15 minutes to decide. He got his Spotify out. He's looking at his most oh my played. God. And he looked at his phone. And I was like, fucking hell, I'm going to have to make this a lot shorter. And he was like, I've, when I pasted it and put it back, it was like he instantly thought of it. But my God. Um, I think it would have to be um, Gloria Gaynor, Tainted Love. Um, it's one of the most... I think it's it's a song that's been like with me just forever, you know. Like I remember listening to it when I was a kid in my my in our basement when we lived in Scotland, where my all my dad's records were going through all his Motown collection, and um, like ever since you know I've I've kind of ripped it off in various ways for in, in in our music. I've you know I'll, all it will be like a song that maybe plays us out when we come off stage or in the in our warm-up it's just yeah it's always been there it's um it's just such an energizing um beautiful track so you don't get sued you played homage to it you never ripped it off you, you <laughs> played homage to this classic song yeah yeah <laughs> we 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 referenced it yes that's the uh that's what they all say in pop but oh yeah we referenced it 
Yeah. Beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I told you at the start today that it didn't make the recording, but um, I, I truly mean this. When I started podcasting, I had a list of names, and I was like, Kevin Smith. I thought, God, he's one of my favorite film directors. And growing up at college, I loved all his early work. And I had like some of the people from you know the TV series Spaced. Mm. Yeah, uh, Sean the Dead, stuff like that. I've had people in my life wow. that I've really wanted, and uh, you were on my list of top ten at the start. And uh, I think everything happens for a reason, and some things take longer than others. But five years later, we're sat here now, and it's happened. And I just want to say to you, thank you, because I know how busy you are. Your life's absolutely manic at the moment, especially right now. Um, but you giving me just an hour of your time means hell of a lot to me. Um, so I just hope you um, know and appreciate just how much it means. Mate, thank you. No, that's amazing. It's um, It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for your support. Thank you for having me. And, yeah, I'm sure we'll get to hang out at some point in, the, will, in person, uh, probably. Yes, truly, thank you for coming on. Uh, it means a lot, and I can't wait. And it's... Mm. I did a Q&A in London and I had my little dog with me and Denzel Curry was like, oh, get the dog away. And I know it sounds fucking ridiculous, but my wife will always remember that now. But she always says like, ah, oh, Enter Shikari, they loved Florence. And it was like, yeah, we got photos of you and the whole band with Florence. And uh, that goes a long way. So Florence really appreciates it. Oh, mate, no, I love, uh, yeah, I love dogs. I love Florence. <laughs> hope we get to meet again. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Cheers for having me. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Rao Reynolds from the awesome Enter Shikari. This interview for me has been in the making for almost five years, but as you know with Mark and me, the best guests are always worth waiting for and Rao never let me down. We talked heavily on this interview about their brand new album. It's out on April the 21st. It's called A Kiss for the Whole World and you need to check it out. If you've heard the free singles so far, you'll have a really good idea and flavour of what's coming and I think it's going to be the album of the year and I can't wait to see the band live in just a few weeks' time. I think as we're sitting here right now, there may be a few tickets left. They've done this amazing idea for a tour where they've done some intimate smaller venues and they've done it in the rounds three times. So I think it's February, March and April. So if you do want to go and see them live, I urge you just to go on entershikari.com now and try and get yourself a ticket because their live show is something that just needs to be seen. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, please share it. All the links, I've made it really simple for you, are on markandme.com. There's links there to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, why not just retweet it? If you've been on Facebook, hit that like button or share button. Or if you're on Instagram, just like it because it helps the algorithm and gets more people to see it. I'll never know how that works on Instagram, but hey, the more likes I'm sure gets more people seeing it. Also, if you really enjoyed today's episode, I do have a Patreon account. This helps me with the everyday running of the podcast and I rely on this to keep this podcast going and to host it on sites like Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I need as much support as I can get and the link is on markandme.com and in return for your generosity, I always make sure that you'll get a badge, some stickers, some exclusive cards, so many more prizes and lots of opportunities to win some cool stuff. But not only that, I have 
exclusive episodes that are just for people on my Patreon called The Lost Tapes. Each and every month via Patreon, you will get access to one interview that no one else will hear, only people on Patreon. So if you want to hear some really cool, rare interviews, sign up now on markandme.com. I want to say a massive thank you right now to Raoul for this interview. It means so much. And I want to dedicate this episode to two of my very close friends. Martin Street, who I think might be the biggest Enter Shikari fan in the world. I know that's up for debate, but honestly, he is obsessed. And also my great friend, Todd Murgatroyd. He'll be listening right now. I know how excited he's been for this podcast coming out. So the two of you, I can't thank you enough for all the support you give me as a friend and as a fan of the podcast. And I really hope this interview has made you proud. I'll be back in only a few days' time with another brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, listen to Enter Shikari, take care, and I'll see you all very soon.